turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Malachi chapter 3. I'm sorry, Malachi chapter 2. Is that the fire bell going off? <laughs> I remember the one time we were meeting at the fire hall at the other place, and sometimes we had to meet in the engine room because the, the hall was taken. You guys, some of you remember that, right? And then one time we were in there, and they always told us, if the alarms go off, just, you know, stand back and wait. Well, the one day, the alarm went off, and so I was in the middle of the sermon, and you hear, you know, rah, 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 and then the you know, firemen come rushing in. We just sat back and waited, and they did their thing and got right back into the sermon. So, yeah, we're used to that. But that wasn't a fire bell, was it? All right, Malachi chapter 2. I'm going to begin in verse 17. I know that's what we're going to focus in on this morning, but I'm going to read through 3.5. So hear the word of the Lord this morning. This is God's word. The Lord says, you have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? This is how, by saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them, or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like the refiner's fire, like the fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be swift I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner, and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you so much. Thank you for your precious word. Thank you for this day and this time together, Lord. Just pray that <coughs> you are honored and glorified as we um, enter into the message this morning, that you would be with each and every one of us. Please be with me to bring forth your word, Lord, again, where you are glorified and where you are strengthened in our faith. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Next week, we'll look at the, the last part of this verse, and then into chapter 3, uh, verse 5. But this morning, Malachi 2.17, um, as we enter into the sermon, I just... Look, man, we all know people, at least most of us know some people that are just mean and just are mean-spirited, <laughs> pretty bitter in their lives. They show very little compassion, uh, you know, for whatever reason. And, and I'm not, yeah, I see people smiling. We all know that person. You may be that person. I hope you're not. But we know those, those people, uh, little compassion. Yet they project. They project all of that onto you as your friend. You know, they'll, they'll be tough on you. <coughs> it might be a family member. It might be a good friend or a friend. Um, and so they get on you almost every single day. And, and they uh, say nasty things to you that's actually true about them. You know, 
And, 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 so that, and that goes on and on, and we try to be patient, try to be loving, try to be caring. But, you know, one day, all of a sudden, it's just enough. One day you say that. You're the one who's mean, bitter, hateful, <laughs> and <laughs> insensitive. And here's how, and that's important, here's how. And you show them that, lovingly, hopefully. But you know what I'm saying? That's what's going on here in Malachi, at least in this portion. Um, it's, that's what's kind of, so that's a major lesson for us. Um, in many ways, among God's people, even today, God is, as C.S. Lewis would say, in the dock. Do you know what that means? That we kind of put God on the witness stand, and he has to prove himself to us before we believe, to him, believe in him, pay him homage, obey him. So, so we kind of have to, he has to pass you know, the, the standard in our test. And you're seeing this even in Christianity today among many Christians. Unbelievers do this all the time. That's one thing. But when you start to see this kind of thing in the church, they're getting in this dangerous ter- territory of Malachi, of what Malachi is speaking to. They put God in the dock, and they question his goodness. There are pastors that are questioning the, the necessity of the Old Testament. Like, do we even need the Old Testament? Let's just unhitch ourselves from that. All we need is the New Testament. Why doesn't God just accept people as they are, people are asking. What's the matter, gay, straight, bi, trans? Isn't he a God of love and an accepting God? Why does he play favorites? Why does he pick those whom he wants? Where's the fairness in that? So God is in the dock. He's being questioned. Why is there so much evil in the world, so much injustice? Why isn't God doing something about it? Why are people getting away with so much. You see? God's in the dock. Now, let me say before we go any further uh, with, with this text today that for, for sincere believers, there is a place to come before God with humility and with questions because we do at times have those questions. Read the Psalms. You know, we have times and so our God is loving and he invites us to do it. He's not going to say, no, no question. Don't, you know, don't ask anything. Don't. No. We're free to, with humility, to express bewilderment at times, to express even frustration. Lord, why is this happening? You know, but, but when you do that, you better be prepared to hear God's answer. Remember Job, when he asked God, you know, he complained to God, God answered him, and Job was humbled. So just remember that as well. But again, we're invited by the Lord to to, to share even our doubts and concerns with humility. That's different than what's going on in Malachi. So turn with me to, to Psalm 13, because this is an example of that, of crying out to the Lord, of being under duress in a really difficult situation and struggling, and it's okay to say, God, where are you? God, what's going on here? But then you have to see how the psalm ends in faith. So this is the right way to approach God with, um, you know, the, the, the questions you may have, the, the difficulties, the the frustration in that sincere way. So Psalm 13, listen, it's a short psalm. It just says this, How long, O Lord, right? God, he's under duress. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? And so sometimes we feel like, Lord, my situation's so bad and so difficult. We're, are you, I'm here, please. Have you forgotten about me? How long will you hide your face from me? Take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? He says, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. 
Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. You see, that's complaint. He's crying out to But then listen to verse 5. After he pours out his complaint, so, so we don't have to be, pretend that we're so pious and, you know, it's just okay, God, no, no question. We could say this, Lord, where are you? What's going on? Please help me. Please help me to understand this. Why are you allowing this to happen? Bring some relief my way. It's, it is frustrating. It is, it is difficult. But look how the psalm ends and he says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. No matter what, though you slay me, I will love you and I will trust in you. Nothing could separate me from your love. I've trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation and I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. You know, that, and yeah, we know what we have in Christ so we can rejoice in that. So just want to set the record straight before, you know, it's, it's not as, as if we can't even question or come before the throne of God in difficult times. But the spirit in Malachi 17, when he says, you've wearied me with your words. You say, how have I wearied him? By saying everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? See, where they're coming from in questioning God or putting this out there is a place of bitterness in their heart. They're already angry with God and they're against God in their hearts at this point with that veneer of pious, like being pious before him, piety before him. But in their heart, it's anger. It's, it's almost accusatory, it's, it's antagonistic, and it's, and it's arrogant. See, that's different. That's how you're not to approach God, especially if you call yourself a Christian. You know, I can't believe in a God who won't, and then you can fill in the blank in that regard. You kind of hear that from people who claim to be Christians. I can't believe that God will allow this to happen. Remember in chapter 1, in verse 13, um, they said that they are wearied with God, that God has has wearied them. They're wearied by him. But here, God turns the table in, in verse, verse 17, and he says, you're wearied by me? That's enough. He says, enough. You have wearied me. I'm God. And now I'm putting an end to this. You've gone too far in these accusations and what you're saying about me. You, you're wearied by me? No, no, I am wearied by you. And God asserts himself in that way. And he puts us in our place as we often need to be put in our place because we take so many liberties with God and we complain out to God from a bitter heart and a bitter spirit. There's no place for that. So God says, enough. And that's an important lesson for us to learn. We'll talk about that towards the end of the sermon when we make application. But we see this. And don't you love this? Because when there's evil people pretending to be holy and righteous and just, and they're, they're projecting and they're getting on you, and then all of a sudden that person stands up and says, no, you're the one who's in the wrong. You're the one who's not right. And here's how you're wrong. There's a great illustration of that uh, throughout Scripture. But First Kings 18, you remember wicked King Ahab, how wicked Ahab was. He hated the Lord. He was evil. He destroyed so many lives, not just Naboth, but, but many others as well. He and his wife Jezebel, they worshipped idols against a true God. And, and so he's confronted by Elijah. And, and then when Ahab saw Elijah, look at this. Ahab said to him, 
Is it you, you troubler of Israel? You're the trouble in Israel. You're coming here and troubling us. And he answered to him, I have not troubled Israel. Don't you love that? I have not troubled Israel, but you have. You have, King, the way that you've disregarded God, the way that you worship idols, the way that you treat God's people, the way you profane him in his house. I have, you have, and your father's house because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and you have followed the Baals. He just told him the way it is. Don't you love that humble boldness? He's not going to just sit back and take it from this sinful king, though he be king of Israel. He's pointing him pointing out his sin to him because he's under the Lord, under God's command as well and foremost. Throughout the Gospel of John, we see this with Jesus in his ministry. This, 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 you know, this idea of I'm wearied, you're wearied with me, I'm wearied with you. How dare you do this? So, so in John, remember when he's, Jesus was accused by the Pharisees of having a demon, what did he say to them? I have a demon? No, 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 no. You, you are the son of the devil. You, you are the, you're the son of the father of lies. He's the one who you follow, right? So he comes back at them. He doesn't just take it in that humility. He says, wait a minute, you know? When they said, well, we have Moses as our teacher. We love Moses. What did Jesus say? Okay, you have Moses as your teacher? If you really had Moses as your teacher, you would listen to me because Moses wrote about me but yet you reject me. You see, that's, what, that's kind of what's happening here in Malachi. The Lord's saying, okay, no, no, no. no well, not enough. Enough. Abraham is our father. We love Abraham. Well, if you loved Abraham, you would love me because he saw my day and he rejoiced. Are you kidding me? So he's coming back. And there's something that we need to learn from this as Christians. Remember all the people that followed Jesus because he fed them. They came across the sea. And Jesus, what did Jesus say to them? I know why you're following me. Because you love my teaching. Because you want to obey me. Because you trusted me as Savior. No, you're following me because I fed you. Because you saw the miracles. Because, so, and there's just that, that truth that comes out. Because we're so apt to, to just let people pile on with the lies, right? And say what they want to say. And we just kind of pray for them or try to nicely. There comes a time when you have to say, enough. Enough. This is the truth. And here, because when they make the accusations, they'll make the accusations, but they'll never back them up with the facts. That's why when we say, enough. Here's what you're doing and here's why. And that's what, what goes on here as well. God says, enough. How have they wearied him? Again, look at verse 17. And look, this is so bad. This is so sinful. Look what they're saying. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? Here's how. By saying, here's what you're saying. They're saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. That's what the people are saying. That's, and he delights in them. That's the accusation. That's what they're saying. They're, they've wearied the Lord by believing, and this is really important to get, by believing and propagating a false view concerning the character of God and the nature of his justice. That's what they're doing. And they're calling themselves God's people. They're mischaracterizing God. They're lying about God. They're believing and putting forth ideas and concepts that aren't consistent with the scriptures. It's bad theology right out of the bat. That he loves evil? Does God love evil? Does he delight in those who do wicked? Are you kidding me? That's, God does not call evil good. 
Isaiah 5.20, he says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute light for darkness and darkness for light. It's just the opposite of what they're saying, right? Bitter for sweet, sweet for bitter. No, 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 no. God does not delight in sin, obviously. Psalm 5, verses 4 and 5. For you are a God who, does, who delights, I'm sorry, for you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. And they're saying this right, right from everyone who is evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them. That's how you've worried. And they say, wait a minute. Stop. Enough. Psalm 11.5. The Lord tests the righteous. That's for sure. But his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Why? It's contrary to his nature and his character. And that's what they're impugning when they say that God loves that, that God's okay with that wickedness because he's not. His love, his love in Jesus Christ shows us how much he hates evil and how much he hates sin and how much he loves his people. That's John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That shows us how much God hates evil and he hates sin. That he would send his son to live, to die, and to be raised on the third day to save sinners, to save us from our sin to crush the head of the serpent, to defeat sin, Satan, death, and hell. Amen? That's how much he hates sin and wickedness, that he sent his son to deal with that. If God delighted in sin, like they're saying here, then he would be happy with them. Is he happy with them? No, he's not. See? It's very difficult to get. But... When they say that, when they say those kinds of things, that everyone who does good is evil in his sight, he delights in them. It's not out of sincerity because we see the wicked prospering as we just read. Uh, well, well, we'll read in a minute. But the idea behind what they're doing is like a pious kind of sinfulness. And that's very dangerous if you treat God in that way. Because the idea behind it is, you know, why should I obey God? They're kind of saying, why should I obey God when everybody else is doing wicked and everything seems to be fine with them? You know, can you relate to that? Here we are, we're expected to keep the rules, to love God, and we see people out there doing bad things, and they're prospering, and they're not even getting in any trouble. Where's the justice? Where's the fairness in that? So we need to be careful about that. And that's what they're seeing here. They're saying, you know, everyone who does evil is good in the sight because not, God's not doing anything about it. He must accept it. But at the root of that kind of thinking is really the sin of envy, for sure, because, because you can't do what others are doing if you say you're a believer in God. Like, they're, they're prospering, and they're doing evil, and, and they're kind of getting away with it. They're doing what they want to do. And, and, and so there's almost an envy because those people are, you know, man, I have to do this because I'm a Christian, but they get to do this, and they're just fine. Huh? That gets you sometimes, doesn't it? But that, it, shouldn't be, it shouldn't be that way. Like you shouldn't want to do what those evil people do to get away with what they get away with, number one. Number two, the, the second kind of root sin under that is anger as well. You get mad, not just at the situation, but you get mad at God because you think he's okay with it to some degree, right? He lets them get away with it. Now that's a real danger for all of us as Christians. I mean, even genuine Christians, people who believe. Uh, Psalm 
10, verses 4 to 6 says this. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. And all his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight for all his foes. He puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved throughout all generations. I shall not meet adversities. There's that arrogance. that, And we see that, and some people seem to kind of live that way. And it's like, man, how can that be? So we need to be careful not to envy that because their day will come. I do want you to turn with me to another psalm, Psalm 73. Psalm 73, because the psalmist speaks to this as well. And and it is something we have to guard against and be careful about in our own hearts because we could tend to to envy those who kind of seemingly are getting away with it, as it were, and then be angry with God because, God, why aren't you doing something about that? Here I am trying to be the man or woman you want me to be, and these other people are doing what they do, and they're just fine. That's a real danger for us, right? But we have to have the attitude of the psalmist not of the people, because these people are, are upset with God. They're ticked with God. They don't want anything, because they're saying, this is what God is doing. Now look at the side of the psalmist, and hopefully we come down on his side. So Psalm 73, and I'm going to read a good portion of it, probably the first 17 verses. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, and my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Right? And that's, that's, for they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. And they're not in trouble as others are. And they're not stricken as the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. You know, they're untouchable. They're going to do what they want. They're going to be cocky about it too. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with folly. So back in the day, the, to be fat, to be um, big in that way, your eyes swelled out, meant prosperity because you were eating, because you had that. It was a sign of, of wealth and uh, prominence. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongues stretched through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, These are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain, I have kept my heart clean. And there it is. These guys are prospering. I've kept my heart clean. It seems like it's in vain. What good is it? I'm over here and it's toiling away and they seem to be prospering. Verse 14, for all day long, I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought of how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. It's tough to think about this. How does this make any sense? How is this fair? And then verse 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God and I discerned their end. And there it is. That's it. When I discerned their end. So being envious is not being satisfied with God, but looking at what others who aren't trusting in God and prospering, but what turns him around and what should turn us around and what should give us solace is that God is a God of justice. It might just be delayed justice. And apart from Christ, they're not going to prosper. They may get away with it for a time and maybe even in this life, but there will come a day when they will answer to the Lord. Whereas we who are trusting in the Lord, we may toil and go through and it may be difficult, but there's going to be a day when we stand before him and he says, well done, good and faithful servants. You were tested and you resisted the sin. You didn't envy what the wicked 
people had and how they prospered. You kept your eyes fixed on me. You didn't get angry with me, but you kept trusting in me even in that seeming kind of unfairness when others were prospering in a wicked way and you had, you had difficulties. Do you see the idea? So, so we have to be careful about that because we can't slip over to that. Now, the people in Malachi, they had gone way over. the. Like, they weren't thinking like the psalmist at this point, right? You can't say that you love God because they were kind of saying, well, we love God. We come to the temple. You can't say that you love God, that you belong to God on the one hand and say that he loves evildoers and he delights in them. On the other hand, you just can't do that. But that's exactly what these people were doing. And that's why God rebukes them. Truth is, those who indulge in evil have to answer to God, including those inside the church. These people would answer to God. Those among God's people. And that's what we're concerned with. We know the world is going to have this kind of attitude towards the Lord, but when you find it cropping up in the church, that's a problem. That's a serious issue. And that's what we need to confront and be careful about and say, wait a minute, enough, stop. Turn them back to the Lord. So those who, who, who teach, who believe, who practice things that aren't in accord with Scripture, that aren't consistent with His Word, with aren't, that aren't consistent with His nature and character, will be held to an account. Do you understand? God says, you have wearied me. He's not talking to the outsiders. He's talking to His people at this point. Because this is how you think. And He says, enough. And we need to say, enough. So the way they put it like this, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them. Does he really? Does he really do that? And that's something we need to ask ourselves, even with inside the church, even where we find ourselves. And what we put up with as Christians and what we allow to take place in our midst, right before us. And so often, we don't even have an answer. We just kind of let them go. We do our things until they encroach on us, and we have to do something. But for the most part, we just kind of let things go and say, oh, we, we're, we shouldn't do that. But do you think God is pleased with what's going on in the church today and so much of, of what's called Christianity? Is he pleased? Does he delight in that? Does he love that, that evil? No. Is God pleased with the minister who enthusiastically officiates wedding ceremonies for same-sex couples? Is he pleased with that? Is he going to say, I'm good with that. that that's, a, that's a good thing. There are some in the church who say, yes, why wouldn't he be? Doesn't God love, God love all people? Isn't this a wonderful thing that God's doing? That's how the people in Malachi were thinking, and that's why God rebukes him and says, no. Is he overjoyed with a lesbian pastor who presumes to preach from the Word of God, who opens up the Word of God and presumes to preach from it. There are many churches, even around here, that very thing's happening today. Is God pleased with that? Why would He be? It's inconsistent with His character and His nature and His Word. How can He be? And yet we kind of stand idly by and say, well, you know, that's them over there. And, you know. Is He content with the minister that opens up the Bible, but the minister doesn't believe what the Bible actually teaches? He doesn't believe that we're born in sin, but he opens up the Bible every Sunday morning. You can go to many churches, even in this area, where ministers don't open up the Word, but they don't believe that you're born in sin. They don't believe that miracles really happened or took place. They don't believe that Jesus' death was an atoning sacrifice, but merely a good example that should be followed by others. Is God pleased with that? You know, enough. Is he delighted? with the word faith preacher who deceives thousands of people every week. 
who plays on their hopes, their fears, and even their greed, right? If you just give me this, then you'll get much more in return. If you just send me this, then you could, you could obtain that. Is God pleased with that? Is that the word? Is that the nature and character of God in Scripture? But see, it's all around us. I'm going to be held to account. You've wearied me. He's calling, saying that I love evil, that I delight in that. Do I delight in these things? Is he satisfied with those people who claim to be Christians, who claim to be believers, and yet they live their lives as if obedience is an option, right? As, as if God has little or no authority over their everyday lives, or that God understands or even sanctions sinful decisions they make. There are so many people who call themselves Christians who live in that way, don't they? Right? They simply do. Obedience is an option. Yeah, it'd be nice to obey, and I probably should see, but you know what? I'm just... Too, too busy, too tempted over here. I, I, I'm not going to go there. You know, he doesn't have that much authority over my life. I am still in charge of my own life. I'll give him so much of me. I'll give him a piece of me, but he's not going to have all of me. No, no, no. This belongs to me. He understands me. He knows. It might not be the best thing, but he understands my circumstances. This is why I'm doing the way. This is why I'm living this way. This is why I'm doing the things that I'm doing. And he's okay with that, even though his word's not okay with that, right? If you answered yes to any of these questions, by the way, then you are saying what the people in Malachi said, that he loves sin, sin, sinner, sinful people. He, that everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them, right? You're saying what the people in Malachi were saying. God says, enough, enough. It's not good. It's not God. But it's you. It's you who doesn't care about God. You don't care about. It's not that God is so hard and so difficult. It's you who don't care about God's character, his, his nature, what he has out for us. Understand? He's really confronting the people here. This is what you're doing. This is what you're saying. How dare you say that? How dare you say that I love evil and I call evil good and, and I delight in people like that? Well, what's the proper response for us? What's the proper response? It's not going to be a very long sermon. It's just had this little verse here, but... I want you to think about these things, the proper response. Number one that we can learn from this is that we need to be concerned about our theology. We need to be concerned for correct theology, specifically the doctrine of God. We can't make God up in our minds, and our heads. We can't have him be what we want him to be. He is who he is, and he's revealed himself to us in his word. And that's what we have to take. We can't leave it. So many people, you know this illustration, they love to make up their own God in their mind, right? And it's like the buffet line. Do they even have buffets anymore since COVID? Are they opening up again? I hope so. <laughs> but, you know, people treat God like that. You know, like, well, I like the love of God, and I'll have a, a portion of that. And I like the mercy of God, and I'll have some of that. But the judgment of God? No, no, that's not my God. And, and so we treat him like that, or like Mr. Potato Head, if you're old enough to remember. You know, do what we want with him and, and have the God of our own choosing. No, we need the correct theology. God is God. We need to know and understand the, the, the doctrine of God, the essence of God, the nature of God, the character of God. You can't love evil. 
It's not in his nature. Number two, we must not act contrary to or be inconsistent with the word of God. You can't have it both ways. You can't say, God, I love you on one hand, and then, but God, I'm going to live this way on the other hand. You can't do that. You have to be consistent. You have to seek obedience. You have to seek to, to, to live for him. Again, so many of us want that. We want to say, oh yeah, we love you, God, but I'm still going to do this, even though it's, even though it's sinful. Right? I, that, that, that's part that I'm going to continue to live out, even though I know what your word teaches in that regard. You can't do that. And then, number three, this is basically what we've been saying all along, is that we must be willing, and you must be willing, all of us must be willing. Now is the time. The time that we're living in, the day and age, it's t- the games are over, man. We can't play around anymore with people. We can't allow for, for the sin that's, that's all around us and just turn a blind eye to it, especially within the church and what's happening within the church, how corrupt it's becoming, how sinful it's becoming. We have to say enough. We have to answer biblically. The time has come to, to do that. Now, we do it with all humility and grace, but we do it in no uncertain terms. We answer the call because people, even so-called Christians, are saying if you're a conservative Christian, then you're too harsh. You're, you're intolerant. If you, if you really believe exactly what the Bible teaches in that way, you're intolerant. And what do we say to that? Well, we'll try to be nice. We want everybody to like us, and we're going to be sweet, you know, and, and kind of accepting because we don't want to be put. No. Of course we love. We have the love of Christ in us. But when we're called intolerant, what do we say? We say, no, enough. We're not intolerant. You tolerate sin, and you call it love. But what you call love leads to judgment. Do you understand that? Now, we say it in the most loving way that we can, but we say it with conviction. And we need to do this more often. Every time that we're challenged, as the, you know, you're the hard ones, you're the difficult ones, you're, wait a minute, wait a minute. Just like Elijah said, no, you're the one who's, who's wrong. You're not right, because the accusations fly and they come out, but there's, no, there's nothing to back up what they say. How am I intolerant? What do you mean by that, right? But, but when they say something like that, no. It's you're the one that's tolerating sin and you're calling it love, but that ultimately leads to judgment. And that is the truth, isn't it? Okay? So, so we, well, you got, you're just so narrow-minded in, in the way you think. The, the world's a big place. And what do we say to that? You know, we get offended. We get, we get hurt. We back down. We, we feel the pushback. We don't want to be the, we don't want to seem to be narrow-minded. We want to be accepted. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. When you say you're narrow-minded, well, you have to say, no, no. You're too open-minded believing that God is okay with fornication or whatever sin that you're fancying this day. You're, 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 you're too open-minded in that regard. Right? When his word clearly teaches you that you must not. So what's wrong with sleeping together? If we really love each other, God should be okay with that even though we're not married. Wait a minute. You're too open-minded because that's contrary to the word of God. His word clearly teaches that you must not do that. When we wait till marriage, just things like this. So we shouldn't be intimidated anymore. We need to be strong and say, like the Lord, you have wearied me. You're tired of me, and I'm this way. 
I'm tired of you because you're making a mockery of God. And again, I'm speaking primarily with those inside the household of faith. This isn't just outsiders. Oh, well, the watching world is watching us and how we... No, the world needs to see Christ in us. Sometimes the world needs to see the, the prophets. They need to see Malachi. They need to see John the Baptist. They need to see Jesus confronting sin. We almost paint this picture of, oh, we're just this sweet little lambs over here. We make no trouble. We're not told to be brutish in that way and coming off in a bad way, but all you have to do is tell the truth, and that's going to be enough to set people off. But that's our obligation is to speak the truth. So people say, oh, man, you're just too unloving. You're unloving. What do we say? No, no. You're indulgent, as a matter of fact. I love you enough to tell you the truth and even risk the relationship. And your so-called love is leaving people in their sin and leading them straight to hell, and that's the truth. See, we need to say that firmly and honestly. The time has come. Especially with those we see in in broader Christianity, progressive Christianity, it's really, really out there. The the dude that invented VeggieTales, Phil Vischer, is really out there in the progressive wing and just coming after conservative Christians within there and saying these kinds of things in different areas. And we have to say, no, that's enough. That's enough. Here's the deal. Here's the truth. And we give them the reason why. We're not intolerant. You tolerate sin. We're not narrow-minded if we think biblically. You're too open-minded because you're going against what the Bible actually says. We're not unloving. You're too indulgent because we love you enough to tell you the truth, even if it means risking the relationship and not just leaving you in your sin that goes straight to hell. Do you understand? This is a time to be strong because this is what was going on in Malachi's day. And the Lord said, enough. I am wearied by you. I'm not going to put up with this anymore. Here's the truth. Here's what you're doing. And there's a time for that. You see? We need to be there. We need to do that. And then finally, lastly, and I'm going to close with this, and we'll go to the Lord's Supper. We need to, as God's people, delight ourselves in the Lord. I'm going to close with reading from Psalm 37, 1, 8. I'm going to close the sermon out. But that's where our focus needs to be. Not on the envy of the wicked. Not how come those people get to do that and seemingly nothing happens. Their day is coming. We know that sooner or later. Nothing lasts. We see that. So you be content in the Lord Jesus Christ. You keep your eyes on Him. You shouldn't want to do what those other people are doing as they're prospering. Because what they're doing is breaking the law of God. What they're doing so often is wicked or a wicked means of getting ahead. Or even living sinfully in order to get ahead. You shouldn't even want to do that, let alone envy them. Do you understand? So we don't go there, and we don't do that. We delight ourselves in the Lord. And we don't get angry with God because we don't have what we think we want or what other people have. We're thankful that we have Jesus Christ and that we're in him and that he loves us and that he supplies all of our needs so richly in Christ. Do you understand? We delight ourselves in the Lord. Please turn with me to Psalm 37. We'll close with this before we go to the Lord's Supper. Psalm 37. Psalm 37, David says this, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. 
Do not be envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. You trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourselves over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Amen and praise God.